thy grace into our hearts. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word. It is Monday, the 23rd of October. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for those who do not hold you in awe. Grant that they might come to put their trust in your power and might. We pray for those who fear to approach you in prayer. Grant that they might come to know you as Father and Shepherd. For those who sense your mystery within the mysteries discovered by scientific study, Grant that they might come to believe in you as creator of the universe. O God, hidden in light and accessible, you have revealed the face of your love in Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the intercession of St. John of Capistrano, whose feast we celebrate today, grant us the grace to worship you with reverence and to entrust ourselves to you in love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. St. John of Capistrano, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are a production of Sacred Heart Radio, 7.40 a.m. It is Newport, Cincinnati. Sacred Heart Radio, of course, produces the Sunrise Morning Show, but shoots it out to all kinds of affiliates across the network, including a whole bunch of them that I got to meet last week at the Catholic Radio Conference, and it was very cool. Your radio stations that carry the Sunrise Morning Show and other programs, they're in very good hands. And very fun hands, by the way, might I add, to hang out with. Of this hour, Kevin Schmeising will take a look at this week in Catholic history. Rita Heikenfeld is going to be with us for Bible Foods. We'll talk to Father John Gavin about Maximus the Confessor and how he's quoted in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And then Father Patrick Briscoe will be along to talk about the Eucharistic devotion of Pope John Paul II. Of course, uh, it was sort of overtaken by the Sunday liturgy, but yesterday uh, is technically his feast day. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis has called President Biden to discuss the conflict in the Middle East. The White House says the two leaders spoke by phone yesterday about the latest developments in Israel and Gaza. Along with condemning the attack by Hamas on Israeli civilians, the White House said the president affirmed the need to protect civilians in Gaza. The Vatican said the Pope stressed the need to identify paths to peace. During his Sunday Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father once again called for peace in Gaza and Israel. He said, quote, I am very concerned, grieved. I pray and I am close to those who are suffering, the hostages, the wounded, the victims and their families, saying I renew my appeal for spaces to be opened, for humanitarian aid to continue to arrive and for hostages to be freed. End quote. Meanwhile, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem and the Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople have expressed their condolences and solidarity with the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike that hit St. Porphyrius Greek Orthodox Church compound in Gaza City on Thursday. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini has more. The pain of those families who have already been suffering for a long time is enormous and we are by their side. Cardinal Pizzaballa, speaking to Italian Catholic television TV 2000, expressed hope that reason may return to those who make decisions. 
war and bombs have never solved problems, he said. On the contrary, they always create new ones. Patriot Pizzaballa further explained that the 1,000-strong Catholic community in Gaza has decided to stay regardless of dangers because they don't know where to go and no place in the Strip is safe. He noted that despite all that is going on, they managed to maintain an unwavering faith even under the bombs. On Friday, the ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople held a phone conversation with the Greek Orthodox Patriarch of Jerusalem Theophilus to express his condolences for the victims and his best wishes for a speedy recovery of the injured. Patriarch Bartholomew also said he hoped that peace and security may be restored as soon as possible for everyone in the region. The airstrike on St. Porphyrius, which came only two days after the strike on Al-Ali Baptist Hospital, killing hundreds, has drawn strong condemnation from churches, including the World Council of Churches. The ecumenical body has called on the international community to enforce protections for sanctuaries of refuge in Gaza, including hospitals, schools and places of worship. I am Lisa Zengarini. Caritas Jerusalem says they are hopeful that humanitarian corridors to Gaza can be opened. The aid organization has paused their operations for security reasons and said in a statement they lost a staff member in that airstrike on St. Porphyria's church when when a rocket hit the church hall where she and her family were taking shelter. The death toll in that is at least 17 people. Expressing grief and outrage, Caritas Jerusalem said, quote, Our thoughts and prayers are with all those affected by this ongoing conflict. We remain dedicated to our mission, calling for an end to the violence and seeking a just and lasting solution for the people of Gaza and the region. In other news, negotiations between the Actors Union and Hollywood Studios will resume tomorrow, nearly two weeks after management halted discussions on Saturday. A joint statement from the Actors Union and the studios said they are willing to return to the bargaining table. The news came after SAG-AFTRA thanked union members for their unwavering solidarity over the last hundred days. Union members are asking studios for better pay, protections against AI, residuals from streaming, and more. Meanwhile, the United Auto Workers president, Sean Fain, says the union is seeing progress from GM and Stellantis. Brian Shook reports. He said in a Facebook Live update that there is more to be won. Fain's presentation comes on the heels of GM passing another offer to the UAW for a 23% general wage increase for a 25% compounded boost over the life of the pact. That's according to the company. But Fain said these profitable companies have more to give. I'm Brian Shook. And the American League Championship Series is heading to Game 7. The Texas Rangers defeated the Houston Astros 9-2 in Game 6 of the ALCS at Minute Maid Park last night. The series concludes in Houston tonight. In Philadelphia, meanwhile, the Phillies will try to punch their ticket to the World Series today. The Phillies square off against the Arizona Diamondbacks in Game 6 of the National League Championship Series from Citizens Bank Park. Philadelphia is coming off a 6-1 victory over Arizona in Game 5 earlier in the weekend. Well, I mean, there are a lot of exciting things that happened in the course of that, but among them was Adoles Garcia hitting that grand slam. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
congratulations to the Rangers. Again, yeah. trouble in Guadalupe Radio Country with the Rangers I know. and Astros. They just need to get it over with just with Game to, 7. Just get it over with so yeah, that but, all of Texas can be unified. Yes, but I don't know. When, when half of tax, Texas knocks out the other half of Texas, I don't know how unified they'll be in their support going forward with you whoever, so? whoever carries through. I'm not sure how I this just, rivalry I plays out. I feel like, I mean, it will never happen because the... Guardians, I still have to get used to that. The Guardians and the Reds are in different leagues, so we don't yes. have this problem in Ohio. We don't have this problem, but you know what? However, They're... if we did, I would root for the Guardians if... I would do that, too. If they defeated the if Reds. They, I in... would root Ohio, Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, it depends on who they'd be playing. But uh, you know, bear in mind that for a good part of my life and yours, the Astros... We're in the National, National League, League and actually mm-hmm. in the same division as the Reds for a while. Yeah. So uh, I know it. My, how the tables have turned. Indeed. Indeed. Or the divisions. Of course, our Reds aren't in the playoffs at all, so. Maybe we'll get another expansion team or two in the next few years, and then everybody will be upside down and inside out again. Maybe and there just won't be leagues. Eliminate the designated hitter, and it'll be baseball. Again. Unleashed. It'll be baseball again. Well, I mean, don't get me started. <laughs> You're baiting me early on a Monday morning. It is nine minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues with a look at this week in Catholic history. And Kevin Schmeezing, author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, is here with us. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Got a couple of churches to talk about today. And the first one is in France in the 13th century. So tell us about it. That's right. Cathedral in Chartres. Its description at the UNESCO World Heritage website calls it the high point of French Gothic art. It's also been a place of Catholic worship for some 800 years, as you mentioned, going back to the 13th century. It was consecrated this week in 1260. Chartres is located about 50 miles southwest of Paris. It's an ancient city dating back to Roman Gaul. An Episcopal see was established there in the fourth century. So there have been several previous cathedrals by the time Gothic architecture reached its predominance in the high Middle Ages. The building of the current structure began in the late 12th century after a fire devastated the previous church. Some elements of that church, such as the crypt and towers, survived, so they were incorporated into the new structure. It was a community effort, as many of these cathedrals were. Various guilds of masons, carpenters, and glaziers contributed their talents. If you can picture a Gothic cathedral, you're probably picturing something pretty close to Chartres. The soaring steeples, the flying buttresses, high stone walls filled with magnificent stained glass, all of that placed on a rise in the center of the city. It was mostly completed with its roof in place by 1220, which is remarkably fast by the standards of medieval cathedral building. By 1260, it was ready to be consecrated. It happened on October 24th, this week in 1260, with the participation, among others, of King Louis IX, St. Louis. There have been a few renovations in the centuries since the current iron and copper roof replaced the original wood and lead one, which was destroyed by fire in the 19th century. But in largest part, what you see today is the Chartres Cathedral that they built in the 13th century. And that was consecrated this week in 1260. Well, much more recently, we had to Maine for another church and a little bit of history about it. Another church, another Gothic church, Matt, with French connections. The Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul in Lewiston, Maine, dedicated this week in 1938. 
It was in the news recently for unfortunate reasons. One of its windows was broken in a rash of vandalism against Catholic churches in Lewiston. It's a monument to the French-Canadian Catholics of southern Maine. In the mid-19th century, French-Canadian immigrants moved to Lewiston in large numbers to work in the growing textile industry. The city's sole Catholic parish at the time, St. Joseph's, became overcrowded, so the French-speaking contingent founded a new parish and constructed the Church of St. Peter in the early 1870s. French Dominicans took charge of the parish a few years later, and it remained a Dominican parish until the 1980s. There doesn't seem to be any record of a formal name change, but at some point in the late 19th century, it became known as Saints Peter and Paul. By the early 20th century, there were 10,000 parishioners and need for a new church. A Belgian architect designed it after the style of, what else, the French Gothic cathedrals. The facade is gray granite with two square towers and a rose window modeled on the one at Chartres. The crypt church was finished in 1906. The upper church wasn't built until the 1930s. And on October 23rd, this week in 1938, the completed church was dedicated. It was designated a basilica in 2004, still serves the Catholics of Lewiston, Maine. The Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul dedicated this week in 1938. Pretty cool, and that's a place that people can go and visit, especially those of you listening in New England. Thanks so much, Kevin Schmeezing. We've got your book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. All right, let's check on weather for the nation as you head into the week on a Monday morning. In the eastern U.S., a few showers will be moving through the mid-Atlantic and northeast, but otherwise sunshine and chilly temps today. Remnant moisture from Pacific Hurricane Norma will zoom through Mexico and into Texas today, leading to showers and thunderstorms. Storms will march through the northern Rockies and northern plains today, bringing showers to the shores of Lake Superior and a rain and snow mix to the mountains of Montana. Another area of showers in the Pacific Northwest. A fresh storm system will start to move on shore there. Most of the rain will be limited to the Olympic Peninsula during the day, but it could spread towards Seattle by evening. Otherwise, the West will enjoy a dry start to the week. We're back with headlines after this. It's 14 minutes past the hour. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian Prayer Series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. 
He is honored by the church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit, St. Peter Canisius, was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Sixteen minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Pope Francis yesterday called President Biden to discuss the conflict in the Holy Land. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has expressed his condolences to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike that hit a Greek Orthodox church compound in Gaza City last week. And the United Auto Workers president says the union is seeing some progress from GM and Stellantis. I just want to commend you on your heroic efforts to like make it through reading things this morning. Yeah, thank you. Into a microphone. Yeah. Because I'm trying to keep it kind of trying to keep my volume keep it, keep low. It low key. Try not to go too high. And you lost her voice over the weekend. I like I had no voice. Which I don't know on if you Saturday. know this, but like, what do they call that? The pup list. The physically oh, unable to yeah. perform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I was ever telling hearing Matt yesterday on the recently, phone. But... I was like, Matt. Matt, just be aware. If I wake up with no voice, I'm going to be writing newscasts for you. I'm on the sideline with my visor and my clipboard, ready to throw on some pads if Annie goes down. So if anybody's watching on the video stream, they'll be seeing me drinking a lot, trying to keep the, yeah, trying to keep everything. You know, talking seems like the easiest thing in the world until you can't do it. Oh my gosh, I know, right? It's it's terrible. It is. It really is. Anyway, I'll be praying for you. you. We're a long way from the Feast of St. Blaise. I know. Um, that was the that. first thing your wife called me on Saturday and I of course did not answer the phone because I had no voice to speak and just yeah. texted her and said I have no voice and that was the first thing she said oh no St. Blaise well yeah. you know it's interesting because I was on the edge of losing my voice all week last week because you know at the Catholic radio conference you're in there and you're just talking to people who talk for a living mm-hmm. and you know you lose your voice in those situations just talking nonstop. I saw so many cool people so many people that we uh you know, either talk to on the air or toss to mm-hmm. during promos and that sort of thing. I saw Colin Donovan over by the oh, nice. escalator. Sent him our best. Of course, he does open line Fridays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had they put me at the same dinner table as Father Mitch. <laughs> you know, and that was pretty cool. Saw, fa- Hello, saw Father. Uh, I've got a pretty good oh, Father. Matt. I've got a pretty good Father Mitch impression yeah, going. I was right about now. to say, with Hello, your voice Matt. kind of like scratchier now, yeah. you might be able to pull it's it off. Probably the best. Best impression I'll be able to do. <laughs> so it's more like Sister Michelle than Father Mitch coming out over there. But oh uh, uh, well, no. but yeah, I did see. Um, uh, let's see, Father Joseph Mary. I made sure to flag him down oh, and nice. tell him how much I appreciate him uh, and his homilies during the daily masses mm-hmm. as well. And plus, lots and lots of affiliates. You know, got stuck in the airport terminal waiting for them to fix a windshield wiper with the folks from AM twelve sixty in Cleveland. Oh, neat. The Rock. You know, That's awesome. Hang out with them. I uh, saw Marcus Peter and Mike Jones from Ave Maria Radio and hung nice. out with them a little bit too. And of course, saw Deborah Rice, who m- many people don't realize is like the actual power behind the throne. Yeah. When it comes to EWTN She's Radio, really the the one, the oil in the machine. And many others saw folks from Real Presence Radio, Spirit Radio, and Omaha. Of course. Wow, Chris people McGregor from all over the place. Lifelong connection with them. Yeah. Um, 
and many others, Anna Mitchell. Many of them were very complimentary of you and the things that you do. Well, thanks. So, uh, as I am as well, right? You well, know, of course. It would be really weird and hard and just not as interesting to do this show alone. So, I'm totally with you. Totally so, with you. So next year you got to come out. The feeling is mutual. Mutual. Do you All know right. the movie reference? No, I don't. But I've got no beef with you, Anna Mitchell. <laughs> what is the reference? You got to help me. From Young Frankenstein. Oh. The feeling is mutual. Okay. <laughs> it's been too long since I've seen that film. I just think like. It's a good time of year to watch it. Where's that brain from? Abby. Abby, Abby normal. normal. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. It's hard. You know, actually, Halloween, isn't Halloween like a week from yes, today? Yes, like a week from tomorrow. A I week think. from tomorrow. Yeah. We'll have to have some uh, some segments. We got to get some spooky segments. Some so. Catholics perspective on Halloween stuff. Yeah. Get Dr. Munson on vampires. Mm. Yeah. It's 21 past. They're starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah is thought to have been the very best. Some prophets had their doubts. Remember Jeremiah when he said that he was too young and inexperienced? Elijah even prayed to die because he believed there was nothing more for him to do for God. But Isaiah was quite different. He answered God's call without hesitation. When God said, Who will go to deliver the word of the Lord? Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. For this quick response, the rabbis taught that Isaiah was rewarded with the privilege of repeating the good news in his oracles. For example, halfway through his beautiful book, Isaiah twice says, Comfort, comfort my people, as he prepares the people to return from exile back to their homeland in Palestine. Later on, urging the exiles to leave Babylon, Isaiah says twice, Make your way, make your way out of Babylon. And in that same chapter, Isaiah says twice, Wake up, wake up, Jerusalem, and put on your finest robes. Isaiah received the gift of a double portion of God's Spirit, just like the prophet Elisha. A good lesson for all of us. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com, and many of you are applying butter to your toast. Maybe uh, pat a butter in your oatmeal on top of your pancakes. I don't know what you're doing for breakfast. Maybe you're frying up an egg or two in some butter. It's actually mentioned in the Bible. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and you're right about that. When I fry eggs, it's almost every day I use butter. Well, you got chickens, so you got to do something with those eggs. <laughs> Uh, But where does it show up in the Bible? Oh, gosh, uh, more than a few places. A couple of the most familiar ones, Matt. um, uh, One of the most familiar, you know, the passage about a land of milk and honey. 
Um, and we know that there had to be a whole lot of milk and, and cream from the animals like goats, camels, cows, and sheep. And then in Proverbs, um, in uh, chapter 30, this is a, a sort of a different one. As the churning of cream yields butter and a blow to the nose causes bleeding, so anger causes quarrels. And, and there's an analogy there, too. But, yeah, butter was a very, very common ingredient during Bible days. All right, so some people might say you got to cut back on the butter because it's going to clog your arteries. Uh, where's, your, uh, where's your stance on that, knowing, of course, that you're not a health professional? Well, you know what? Um, true, but here's my take on it. To me, your body knows what to do with something natural. Yeah, butter is a fat, but it's a natural fat. And I, like you, I just say just don't overdo, Matt. Um, I think it's a whole lot better than when you think of the hydrogenated shortening. So, yeah, butter certainly does have a place in our everyday cooking. As I said, just don't overdo. I would rather have real butter than weird fake oh, stuff yeah. any day, yeah. <laughs> any day week where you can't pronounce anything on the back of the tub. Um, that's for sure. But let's talk about salted versus unsalted butter because uh, I use salted butter for almost everything. But every now and then you'll see a recipe that calls for the unsalted specifically. Uh, so what's the point of salted versus unsalted? Well, salted butter, I think it adds flavor, but it also acts as a preservative. So that's why you can keep it in the fridge for a long time. Now, unsalted butter, it, it has a shorter shelf life in the fridge. Um, the taste is really, really good. But if you're going to buy um, butter on sale, especially unsalted, keep it in the freezer for long uh, periods of time. All right. So do you ever swap out salted versus unsalted butter and uh, recipes at all? Oh, yeah, a, a lot of times. And, and I think in most cases, I agree with you, um, you can do that. But here's the deal. If a recipe, if all you have is salted butter and the recipe definitely calls for unsalted, um, just add a little less salt to the recipe. But pretty much I use them, you know, swap them one for one. And as I said, I know you do too. So uh, while we're talking breakfast stuff, I, I don't know if you've ever run across this with any of your people who uh, are into like paleo keto stuff. You know anybody who ever puts butter in their coffee? Mm, not have heard of that one. Okay, it's like a thing. I know some people who swear by it. Uh, I'll, I'll just have to, uh, I'll have to trust them. It's, it's a little bit weird. The other thing that my uh, dad used to do, uh, and I remember this as a kid, is he would, uh, we'd get donuts, and he'd put a donut in the microwave for about fifteen seconds. Then he would take it out and butter it. So oh, he's still alive. Oh. He's and still you know alive. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, that just shows you it didn't overdo, but that's pretty cool. I know, um, just like some people have to have ketchup or jelly on their eggs. So that's not a bad thing. You know, butter's okay. Butter, indeed. Well, you've got a praline crunch snack mix that l looks amazing. I love pralines. I could eat my weight in pralines. And this looks like it would be a great, just like a fall snack to maybe even take on a trail. Oh, yeah, and it is. And um, I'll have the complete recipe along with a spicy buffalo check mix recipe on my site. And basically the, the praline crunch snack mix you take um, some oat square cereal and some pecans, or you could use other nuts, too. And um, it's, you just basically put those in a bowl and mix them up. And they're sort of like the caramel popcorn syrup out of brown sugar, corn syrup, butter, vanilla, little baking soda, and salt. But then you're going to add some cinnamon to that, too. 
And you pour, you know, you cook um, the syrup on the stove and then coat the cereal mixture um, really well with it. And then just like the caramel corn, you pour it onto cookie sheets and bake it at 250, about 45 minutes or so. And I usually stir it every 15 minutes. Um, after it cools, you break it into pieces and you get that uh, praline flavor um, along with a little bit of savory fit flavors as well. It, yeah, it's pretty addictive, I have to say. I'm telling you, it sounds amazing. You got the buffalo mix as well, too. Oh, yeah, and this is one I thought of you with because you and your love of hot hot flavors. Um, it's a fun one, too. You start off with some uh, rice checks and wheat checks um, or even oat checks and then some cheese-flavored crackers and some pretzel twists, those little little tiny ones, and you mix all that up. And then you just melt um, some butter and some hot wing sauce. Uh, we like the buffalo. Uh, dry ranch dressing. I know it sounds weird, but it's good. Um, and if you have any celery seed or celery salt, a little bit of that. You melt that. Again, you pour it over the, the cereal um, pretzel cracker mix. And you can either microwave it or uh, bake it in the oven like the pecan praline mix. And, um, again, after it's cooled, it's crunchy, it's savory, a little bit sweet, and just so delicious. So either one of those are great for snacking, especially this time of year when we're outdoors a lot. I'm about to say, I think I know what I'm going to bring to my next church potluck. I my think, goodness. <laughs> and you'll, you'll adapt it, too, I know. I'm going to put the buffalo checks mix on the appetizer table, and I'll put the praline snack mix at the dessert table, and we'll be set. Well, Rita Heikefeld, thank you as always. And we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, including those recipes in the show notes for the praline crunch snack mix and the spicy buffalo checks mix. Rita, have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, Matt, I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, and I know that some of you are having, you know, trunk or treats and various parish and school-related you know, little Catholic school thingies and need some snacks for the grown-ups while the kids are eating candy corn and Kit Kats. Great recipe ideas for that. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis has called President Biden to discuss the conflict in the Middle East. The White House says the two leaders spoke by phone yesterday about the latest developments in Israel and Gaza. For its part, the Vatican said the Pope stressed the need to identify paths of peace. During his Sunday Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis once again called for peace in Gaza and Israel. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. The Pope expressed his worry and grief over what is happening in Israel and Palestine. Ancora una volta il mio pensiero va a quanto sta accadendo in Israele. In Palestina. I am very concerned, grieved, he said, noting, I pray and I am close to all those who are suffering, the hostages, the injured, the victims, and their families. The Pope said he is very concerned over the grave humanitarian situation in Gaza, and he was saddened that the Anglican Hospital and the Greek Orthodox Parish were hit in the war violence in recent days. I renew my appeal for spaces to be opened, for humanitarian aid to continue to arrive, and for hostages to be released, he said. 
war, every war in the world. I am also thinking of the tormented Ukraine, the Pope continued, is a defeat. La guerra, ogni guerra che è nel mondo, penso anche alla martoriata ucraina, è una sconfitta. War, he said, always is a defeat, for it is a destruction of human fraternity. Brothers, stop, stop, he said. Fratelli, fermatevi, fermatevi. The Pope then recalled that he has called for, on Friday the 27th of October, a day of fasting, prayer, and penance. That day, in St. Peter's at 6 p.m. Rome time, there will be an hour of prayer for peace in our world. Vivremo un'ora di preghiera per implorare la pace nel mondo. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has offered his condolences and prayers to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike struck a Greek Orthodox church in Gaza last week. Vatican News reports at least 18 people were killed when the church of St. Porphyrius in Gaza was struck on Thursday. Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballa spoke to an Italian television station saying, quote, the pain of those families who have already been suffering for a long time is enormous, and we are with them. We pray that this situation ends as soon as possible. He said, let's hope that reason returns to those who make decisions. War and bombs, he said, have never solved problems. On the contrary, they always create new ones, end quote. In Washington, former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is now backing House Majority Whip Tom Emmer to take over the gavel. Trey Thomas reports. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, McCarthy said the Minnesota congressman knows how to do the job. We got a wide open southern border. We got crushing inflation. We got war in the Middle East. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. He added that Emmer can bring the Republican Party together as well as focus on the country's needs. I'm Trey Thomas. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain says the union is seeing progress from GM and Stellantis. Brian Shook has more. He said in a Facebook Live update that there is more to be won. Fain's presentation comes on the heels of GM passing another offer to the UAW for a 23% general wage increase for a 25% compounded boost over the life of the pact. That's according to the company. But Fain said these profitable companies have more to give. I'm Brian Shook. A federal judge is blocking the state of Colorado from enforcing a law that would ban health clinics from abortion pill reversal. A U.S. District Court judge announced the ruling on Saturday, saying there are religious freedom issues surrounding the law that the state has yet to answer. The preliminary injunction applies only to Bella Health and Wellness, which is a Catholic health clinic that sued the state over the new law. That's the news. It's 35 past. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Where did Christ's soul go after his death? The definition of death is the separation of the body and the soul. Being fully man, Christ had both a human body and a human soul. And when he died, this intellect and this will were separated from his body. And so, if they were separated, well, they went somewhere. According to Scripture, Christ descended into the dead. It's called also hell. He went there in order to raise up those fallen patriarchs who died before him and yet had some sort of faith in him. Christ opened up the gates of hell, and he brought out of it all the patriarchs, beginning with his foster father, Joseph. And he brought out Adam and Eve and all the holy saints of the Old Testament. Christ does redeem those even before him because he existed before them. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on Monday morning. Father John Gavin joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. Good morning, Father. Good morning. It's good to have you back. And we are headed to Catechism Paragraph 834 today in our continuing series, Studying the Church Fathers, quoted in the Catechism. And this is in the the section on the marks of the Church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, and we are in the Catholic part now, the subheading is um, about the particular churches. Can you explain what the particular churches are, first of all? Certainly. So we were looking last time at uh, the word Catholic in the sense of universal, and uh, the way in which the Church, uh, first of all, is universal throughout the world, but also in history uh, shares that universal faith that she has received from Christ. But we can also speak of particular churches in the sense of particular dioceses with their bishops, successors to the apostles, and, of course, the particular churches within that diocese. In other words, uh, we can speak about the uh, universality of the Church in the way the Church is manifested in particular places and times throughout the world. Yet, at the same time, in the paragraph we're about to look at, uh, these particular churches are united in the universal church, uh, especially identified with Rome. Okay, so let's read paragraph 834. It says, Particular churches are fully Catholic through their communion with one of them, the Church of Rome, which presides in charity. For with this church, by reason of its preeminence, the whole church, that is, the faithful everywhere, must necessarily be in accord. Indeed, from the incarnate words descent to us, all Christian churches everywhere 
have held and hold the great church that is here at Rome to be their only basis and foundation since, according to the Savior's promise, the gates of hell have never prevailed against her. Now, there are several church fathers who are quoted in here. Mm -hmm. I see um, Ignatius of Antioch. I see St. Irenaeus. Mm -hmm. But the one that we are going to be focusing on is your boy, St. Maximus Mm -hmm. the Confessor. And this is his quote. It says, from the incarnate words descent to us, all Christian churches everywhere have held and hold the great church that is here at Rome to be their only basis and foundation, since according to the Savior's promise, the gates of hell have never prevailed against her. Where does that come from, Father? So this comes from uh, one of uh, Maximus's Apostola Theologica. They're a series of short theological treatises dealing with various theological problems of, of the time. And uh, just to give a little bit of background on uh, St. Maximus and what this particular passage is discussing very briefly, I mean, St. Maximus, as you say, he's one of my one of my favorites. Uh, I did my doctoral dissertation on him, so I, I love coming to him. And he's called a confessor not because uh, he was hearing confessions, but uh, we have to go to the Greek word for confess. It's it's homologain, homologain from the words homos, which means the same, and legain to speak. So a confessor is someone who speaks the same language or speaks mm. the same way with someone. He's a confessor because he speaks the language of the Church. He speaks with what the Church teaches. And generally, a confessor is someone who suffered for uh, speaking uh, the truth of the faith. Uh, and this is the case with Maximus. Uh, he was a Greek-speaking monk who lived from 580 to 662, and in his later life, he became involved in what was called the monothelite controversy, the question of whether or not Christ had one or two wills. And Maximus defended the two wills of Christ, because both human and divine, because if he doesn't have a human will, uh, he's not fully human, he's not fully one of us, and therefore does not save us. And he actually went to Rome, in, uh, and allied himself to the new Pope, uh, Pope Martin, Pope St. Martin, uh, in 649. There was a Lateran Council that re- uh, rejected monothelitism, that is, that Christ only has one will. This led to the arrest and exile of Pope Martin by the Emperor, who was trying to create a compromise uh, formula, and Pope Martin died in exile, and then Maximus was arrested himself and went through two trials, and eventually had his tongue cut out and his right hand cut off. Goodness. Uh, so that he couldn't write or speak. Wow. Yes. Uh, but in the end, in his trial, he said this, I don't have a teaching of my own, but the common one of the Catholic Church. I mean that I haven't initiated any expression at all that could be called my own teaching. Oh. In this case, his defense of the two wills of Christ led to his confession and torture and exile, But he recognized Rome and Pope Martin as a place of unity and where that uh, where that truth and that orthodoxy is being spoken. So that's a little bit uh, behind that that quote. And he's kind of seen as uh, a church father who was a bridge between East and West, which would make him a particularly Mm. important witness when talking about the centrality of Rome. Absolutely. I think uh, you'll see debates between East and Western Western Christians about 
the significance of Maximus's uh, relationship with Rome. I mean, this is one quote of, of a number we have in which he speaks this way. And uh, the, some Easterners would say, well, he's just saying that Rome is orthodox in this occasion or something like that. I think there's a, uh, really what we have to say is Maximus recognized the primacy of Rome, which Eastern churches did, but at the same time recognized a particular charism there, especially expressed in this case in, in Pope St. Martin, of uh, speaking the same language. Uh, that is what Pope must do, speak along with and speak the same language of the tradition uh, and the truths that we have received from Christ through the Apostles. Now, this might be really, really incredibly basic, Father, but why is it that Rome is prime here? So, uh, and recognized in this time, both East and West, that, uh, of course, Rome has this identification with Peter, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And the one whom our Lord uh, calls the rock, right? And is given this particular authority. So, uh, just as we recognize the apostolic succession, there is a particular role of Peter and his successors as the, the focus of unity, and the handing on of that tradition. Uh, the Church lives in history and in the world, and so we see uh, a place and a person around which the Church uh, can, can gather in that unity in her pilgrimage in time. And I think Maximus you know, is a great witness to that. Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to being in communion with Rome, mm. can you talk about what that means from a, a practical standpoint in terms mm. of you look at Eastern Catholic traditions and, mm. and you see a lot of differences from Roman Catholicism. So what is right. it that, that unifies all of the particular churches under Rome? So, again, we have to go back to this paragraph. There is a recognition, of course, that each and every bishop is a successor to the apostles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this unity with Rome, uh, there is you know, there will be debates, of course, uh, throughout history about how that governance and relation takes place, as it is even today. But I think, ultimately, that communion must come through both Rome's and the other churches. Uh, confession, uh, the speaking the same language of the faith, and the sharing in uh, the sacraments is really the unifying elements that bring all to Rome. Rome must always be that that place that uh, and the Pope that is handing on that tradition in the right way. That's where the focal point comes: is that adherence to what we receive in the in the in the tradition of the Church. We've been talking to Father John Gavin. You can find his book, Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, from Catholic University of America Press, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. God bless. You too, Father. Thank you very much. All right. It's coming up on 13 till here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back right after this. Stay with us. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. 
In my 30 plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The EWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV. Your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has called President Biden to discuss the conflict in the Holy Land. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has offered his condolences and prayers to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike struck a Greek Orthodox church in Gaza last week. And in Washington, former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is now backing House Majority Whip Tom Emmer to take over the Capitol. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, I thought it'd be interesting to uh, talk a little bit about something that came up in OCIA class yesterday. Oh, cool. Okay. About the Antichrist. Oh. You know, when we talk about him on here, we usually don't get too excited about it. You know, I back in my evangelical days, you know, bear in mind, I worked at Family Christian Store and was involved in youth groups and stuff in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, and... The uh, the end times Bible stuff was hot. I mean, it was real hot. Oh yeah. Well, so that was we, the time of um, the Left Behind, the Left Behind series, series. We were right? a generation removed from the late great Planet Earth and Hal Lindsey, but Lindsey was still around. Lots and lots of people prognosticating. I don't really uh, know what that means, but okay. It means uh, making a lot of noise about the end times. Lindsey. Hal Lindsey. Yes. Oh, is that I the actually, author? I, I don't back. even know, honestly. Well, hold on. Okay. Those not watching video can not see just that for the going video back people, to his. I've just got my copy of Hal Lindsey's The 1980s oh, Countdown to Armageddon. That looks like a really intense I book. also have back here. Lots and I'm of not red grab it. on that cover. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. I've got it back oh, here, too. Neat. Uh, yeah, so that's why uh, Wizenant, I think, is the author. Are these things that you like reference often in your Coming not Home Network often, videos? But- but you Often hate to enough throw them that out. you want to... You hate to throw them out. <laughs> All right, so there are a few different places that uh, that the Antichrist is mentioned in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this. 
So we used to play this little game, you know, because as evangelicals, we didn't have like a magisterium per se. We had the Bible and we had our own like takes on it. And people right. like Hal Lindsey saying, I don't know, man, I think that this uh, this thing actually means Russian helicopters are predicted in the scriptures. And you oh, know, there's all kinds of stuff going? like that. I so, have my Bible here, too. So I got First John 4. Okay. I believe it is. That's where, that's where he says God is love. Yes. Um, is it First John 4? I'm going to lose it. Um, but, oh, no, here it is. Yes, it is. Uh, so uh, verse 2, it says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Oh, do you have a the Antichrist? Mine Um, says this is the spirit of Antichrist. Yeah, and I'm actually – I grabbed the New International Version, which is a Protestant translation. It was the closest thing handy. Oh, interesting. So it says the Antichrist? Uh, Yes, but it doesn't have a capitalized in Antichrist. Sure. Okay. Uh, Various translations. I should have had a parallel Bible. Um, We're talking about this because Father Briscoe dropped off the line. He's He's sick. He's sick. But so – you know, a, a person without a magisterium has a lot of interesting things to sort of process in terms of, okay, what does this mean? Denying that Jesus come, has come in the flesh makes you antichrist? Like, mm-hmm. is the antichrist, whoever he is, that rises up, you know, somewhere in the year 2000 or in 1988 on Rosh Hashanah, is he going to get up and say, Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh? Is that what mm-hmm. this means? So as we're reading through the section on Jesus in OCIA yesterday, we come to a little passage on a group that you may know uh, called the Nestorians. Ah. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the Docetists. The Docetists. Okay, I've heard of them too. So in it, there's this whole question of the incarnation of Jesus and the problem of, you know, did Jesus really become flesh? And it goes into this whole uh you know, really great explanation of, of who Jesus is and, and how we can know his love by his presence in the world, how he's our model of holiness, how all these things have happened, and that there's been some controversies over the years over what it means that Jesus came. And one of the earliest controversies, it says right here in the Catechism, in paragraph 465, it did not deny Christ's divinity as much as his true humanity. From apostolic times, the Christian faith has insisted on the true incarnation of God's Son come in the flesh. But already... In the 3rd century, the church in the council at Antioch had to affirm against Paul of Samosata that Jesus Christ is Son of God by nature and not adoption. All right, what's going on there? All right, when when you understand that docetism is an early Christian heresy, they don't they believe Jesus is divine, but they think about all his miracles and think maybe this guy wasn't even really human. Oh. Yeah. That he didn't really come in the flesh. The docetists essentially, and this is not like a really technical way for them to put it, it's kind of an anachronistic way for me to put it, but they would—they basically thought Jesus was a hologram, <laughs> that he had not come in the flesh, that there was this illusion of a man-shaped, you know, patch of light going around doing all these things. Mm. And so when John, in First John chapter four, in the first few verses, says anyone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is anti-Christ. Yeah, they're it's... against this anointed Messiah who is the Son of God. Right. So later on, that helps make a whole lot more sense of a guy whose feast we celebrated last week, St. Ignatius of Antioch. Oh, sure. Who says, when talking about some people you should stay away from, he says, They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
flesh which suffered for our sins and which that father in his goodness raised up again. It's interesting to me, Anna Mitchell, that the debate that St. Ignatius is engaging is not whether or not Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, but whether the Eucharist is rather the flesh and blood of Christ against the arguments of the other kinds of people who would say, well, why would it need to be his flesh? Because he was never in flesh to begin with. It's a spiritual thing, just like he was only ever spiritually here to begin with. Mm. And Ignatius is fighting back against that sort of hologram Jesus theology. And why that? Why is that interesting? Because who did St. Ignatius of Antioch study under? Polycarp. And? No. Um, John. John the Apostle. Yeah. Sorry, not Polycarp. He was friends with they Polycarp. They were buddies. They both studied under John the Apostle. And what did John the Apostle write in 1 John 4? People who deny that Jesus has come in the flesh are mm-hmm. against Christ. They're anti-Christ. So where do you think Ignatius learned this stuff from? John from his himself. mentor who was fighting the same ideas. Super interesting. At any rate. That's the kind of things we talk about in our OCIA class. I don't know what other people talk about in theirs. <laughs> By the but. way, it's really I'm looking at a bunch of different translations of this verse. First yeah. John four three. The only one that I see Antichrist capitalized is in the uh, King James version. Interesting. Yeah. Well. And now the third millennium Bible, Ooh. whatever that is. Sounds apocalyptic. Another full hour coming up. It's three till. Monday, the 23rd of October. Let's begin this hour with a prayer to St. Joseph by Pope Pius X. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glorious St. Joseph, model of all who are devoted to labor, obtain for me the grace to work in the spirit of penance, and expiation of my many sins. To work conscientiously by placing love of duty above my inclinations. To be grateful and joyously, deem it an honor to employ and to develop by labor the gifts I have received from God, to work methodically, peacefully, and in moderation and patience, without ever shrinking from it through weariness or difficulty to work. Above all, with purity of intention and unselfishness, having unceasingly before my eyes death and the account I have to render of time lost, talents unused, good not done, and vain complacency in success, so baneful to the work of God. All for Jesus, all for Mary, all to imitate thee, O Patriarch St. Joseph. This shall be my motto for life and eternity. Amen. It is a better way to start a Monday. I don't usually get the amen on that last piano hit, but I got it today. It's going to be a good day. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis is running the video feed, which you can see in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. We'll catch up with Teresa Tamio, who is somewhere, somewhere in Italy this morning. Monsignor Charles Pope will discuss the First Commandment this morning. Uh, Dr. Jared Stout will talk Eucharistic heresies from the Protestant 
era of uh, those first few years of Martin Luther and Zwingli and everybody else kind of blowing up Eucharistic theology, and uh, he'll discuss some of the different directions that that went. And then Stephanie Mann will be along as well as we continue our tour through English Catholic history with us, and uh, we're going to talk about the 40 Martyrs of England and Wales today. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis called President Biden yesterday to discuss the conflict in the Middle East. The White House says the two leaders spoke by phone yesterday about the latest developments in Israel and Gaza. Along with condemning the attack by Hamas on Israeli citizens, the White House said the president affirmed the need to protect civilians in Gaza. The Vatican said the Pope stressed the need to identify paths to peace. And during his Sunday Angelus address, the Holy Father once again called for peace in Gaza and Israel. He said, quote, I am very concerned, grieved. I pray and I am close to all those who are suffering, the hostages, the wounded, the victims and their families, saying, I renew my appeal for spaces to be opened, for humanitarian aid to continue to arrive and for hostages to be freed, end quote. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has offered his condolences and prayers to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike last week struck a Greek Orthodox church. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. The pain of those families who have already been suffering for a long time is enormous and we are by their side. Cardinal Pizzaballa, speaking to Italian Catholic television TV 2000, expressed hope that reason may return to those who make decisions. War and bombs have never solved problems, he said. On the contrary, they always create new ones. Patriarch Pizzaballa further explained that the 1,000-strong Catholic community in Gaza has decided to stay regardless of dangers because they don't know where to go and no place in the Strip is safe. He noted that despite all that is going on, they managed to maintain an unwavering faith even under the bombs. On Friday, the ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople held a phone conversation with the Greek Orthodox Patriarch of Jerusalem, Theophilus, to express his condolences for the victims and his best wishes for a speedy recovery of the injured. Patriarch Bartholomew also said he hoped that peace and security may be restored as soon as possible for everyone in the region. The airstrike on St. Porphyrius, which came only two days after the strike on Al-Ali Baptist Hospital, killing hundreds, has drawn strong condemnation from churches, including the World Council of Churches. The ecumenical body has called on the international community to enforce protections for sanctuaries of refuge in Gaza, including hospitals, schools and places of worship. I am Lisa Zengarini. Caritas Jerusalem has expressed grief and outrage after a staff member and her family were killed in that rocket blast that hit the church hall in Gaza. The statement says they were among 411 people who had taken refuge in the hall adjacent to St. Porphyrius Church. At least 18 people died when the rocket hit that hall Thursday night. Caritas Jerusalem said in a statement, quote, in the face of heart-wrenching developments in the ongoing Israel-Hamas conflict, we continue to hold on to hope for a return to peace in the Holy Land. As Caritas Jerusalem, our mission remains unwavering, they said. Caritas Jerusalem 
is committed to providing support and relief to those enduring unimaginable hardships, and our vision is one of peace, compassion, and unity, end quote. In Washington, House Republicans are set to meet tonight in their latest efforts to find a speaker. The position has been vacant since Republicans ousted Speaker Kevin McCarthy on October 3rd, bringing business of the House to a standstill. After multiple failed attempts by Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan to win the gavel, lawmakers will hold a candidate forum tonight to evaluate a number of Republican candidates who have thrown their hats into the ring. An internal vote to find a new candidate is set for tomorrow. A federal judge is blocking the state of Colorado from enforcing a law that bans health clinics from using the abortion pill reversal. A U.S. District Court judge announced the ruling Saturday, saying there are religious freedom issues surrounding the law that the state has yet to answer. The preliminary injunction applies only to Bella Health and Wellness, a Catholic health clinic that sued the state over the new law. And week eight of the college football season is now in the rearview mirror. The weekend was highlighted by my Ohio State Buckeyes taking down Penn State 20 to 12 in a top 10 matchup in Columbus. Meanwhile, in Tuscaloosa, I'm sorry, Matt, Alabama scored 27 unanswered points in the second half to storm past Tennessee 34 to 20 in SEC action out west. Utah prevailed over reigning Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams and the USC Trojans 34 to 32 in Los Angeles. That's Wait, you... two weeks in a row that USC has lost. Wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty intense. Unusual. Unusual. Yeah. With USC and Utah. Indeed. Matt, I was really pulling for your volunteers. I know. I'm we sorry. We always pull them from. You know, is it? It looks is so it, promising. Uh, is it Utah University or the University of Utah? Uh, I don't, or is I don't it the University the of Taw? Oh, Matt. I'm just wondering because, like, is it UU? Is that like what it, what they call U-U. it? UU. Yeah, I think U-U. it's two U's that are linked together on their helmet, right? It's like a, wait, a a double a double U. A double U. Indeed. Man. Working in logos is is hard. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection, and it's a production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. Teresa, good morning. Hey, good morning. How's everybody? Doing well. You know, I missed you. I was at the Catholic Radio Conference in Birmingham, and almost everybody Mm -hmm. was there except for you. Almost. Because I was leading a pilgrimage of 45 women from around the U.S. of A. I couldn't make it. I know I missed it. I'm so uh, sorry. No, How and Al Cresta couldn't make it either, but he got like a major kind of legacy achievement. I can't remember the name of the award, but it was basically like a person who has like done a, a lifetime's worth of amazing things award. One of those. It went to Al, so congratulate him for me. Oh, don't tell me we lost Teresa. Or did we lose me? Annie, I'll tell you about it in a moment. There's no Annie. There's no anybody. All right, well, I'm just going to tell you all that uh, I was going to say some amazing things to Teresa about you know, how much I appreciate Al and how deserving I thought he was of the award, but I'll just tell you all instead. Al Cresta from Ave Maria Radio got the, uh, got the, the really good guy for a long time in Catholic Radio Award. If I find the name of the actual award, I will let you, I will let you all know. But uh, since he wasn't there, Mike Jones from Ave Maria was able to deliver it on his behalf. Also saw Marcus Peter 
my bud Marcus Peter from Ave Maria Radio out there and lots of other cool people from all the affiliates that help put Catholic Radio on in your area. Uh, you name them, I, I saw a lot of people. Got to head down to Hansville to the shrine there for a little bit and uh, check out their Eucharistic uh, exhibit. They've got a pretty cool one. <clears throat> it's like an interactive sort of immersive Eucharistic display. Some of you have been down to this and know what I'm talking about, but it's, you know, videos and sort of like, you know, sculpted images. And there's like a, like a, you know, replicas of different things and you walk through it. And of course it's on the campus down there in Hannibal and uh, it's a, it's a beautiful spot. So glad to be down at EWTN last weekend. I don't get out of my uh, cage very often to get down there, but I'm always glad when I do. Do we have Teresa back? I'm here. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. I lost you. Well, all I was going to say is I did get to see Mike Jones and Marcus Peter there, and uh, uh-huh. it's always great to talk to those guys, and Marcus and I are, are buddies. You know, he's a young pup, like younger than me, and there's not many people younger than me in Catholic radio, so I'm always I'm always glad to, you know, kind of give him a hard time. Yeah, he's a, he's an amazing addition to our staff. He, he was formerly, as you know, at the Gabriel Shard High School in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and just an amazing, gifted Man in in all things, of course, Catholic, but also a great marketer. So we're happy to have him. Yeah, former Pentecostal preacher. It helps to have a <laughs> yeah. former Pentecostal preacher in marketing. But uh, absolutely, there you go. So what you been up to? Well, as I was mentioning, the reason I missed the um, the wonderful radio conference, which I'm so bummed because I always love to be there, but we did have a beautiful pilgrimage with 45 women from across the country. Myself and Kelly Walquist, the foundress of wine. It's our annual wine and shrine tour. This is the first one we've had. Since COVID, though, since 2019, so it was a, a just beautiful, beautiful trip. And we went all over Umbria, went up to Florence, Siena, San Gimignano. Uh, we saw Santa, of course, Chiara, San Francesco, so many saints, Carlo Acutis, and then came down to Rome and wrapped things up yesterday and sent the ladies off on their way. But a great trip and a wonderful spiritual director who is from the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, Father John Clockman. And so many great homilies that he gave every single day for us. But my favorite had to do with our Blessed Mother, and listen to this phrase, hindsight brings insight for foresight. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. I love that. It was all about the Blessed Mother's ability to consistently reflect and ponder on how we should do the same. Yeah, she kept all those things and pondered them in her heart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And what is one of the things she kept and pondered in her heart is Simeon saying, a sword will pierce your heart also, right? Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. what an interesting thing to to look back on something that's a reference to the future, which is what she would have been doing by pondering that thing in her heart. Right, but I don't think we, and even on a pilgrimage, because you're seeing a lot, and I was telling the ladies, and Kelly and I always always stress this, and Tika Dom and I do the same, and we're leading another pilgrimage next month, but people don't take enough time to slow down in life in general. And when you're on pilgrimage, it's even more important because you're being hit with so many powerful emotions and scenery and religious art and messages that it's just you're just really it takes your breath away consistently throughout the day and so it's important to take some downtime and we encourage it for our pilgrims okay so we're giving you a couple hours off just go and and just sit and just think about what you saw today maybe go back to the church of saint francis of saint Clair, whatever you can do but take that time to ponder and not only thinking back but remembering god's promises as mary did for the future. Remembering God is, is who he says he is. He doesn't lie. And so he is going to do something with our lives. It may not be what we thought. It may not be what we had planned. But put yourself in his hands, and as a great 
a Christian event, evangelical singer, Stephen Curtis Chapman, one of my favorites, says in a, in a recent song he came out with just a few years ago called Remember to Remember. So remember what the Lord has done, and remember His promises of what He's going to do. So ties in perfectly, I think, with the homily of Father Clockman. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. All right. And SC Square, if you're listening, give me a call, man. We should catch up. <laughs> well, so, listen, yeah. good to talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you keep us posted because you're all over the place. I asked Mike Jones, I was like, how do I get into, how do I, do you have a, a, a handy way for me to, like, sneak into Teresa's luggage, you know, for one of these things? <laughs> so, and he's much answer? more. What did he say? No, well, he said, I don't know. He said, I got, I got no idea how she goes everywhere she goes. Is that, that's the closest <laughs> I can get to a Mike Jones impression. But, there you go. That was good, actually. Very good. But at any rate, you send my best to everybody there on pilgrimage, and uh, anybody who joins you along the way, you you tell them that the friend of a friend of Teresa's is a friend of ours. Uh, there you go. All right, we'll talk to you next week. All right, it's a quarter past. We will be back with headlines right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis yesterday called President Biden to discuss the conflict in the Holy Land. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has offered his condolences and prayers to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike struck a Greek Orthodox church last week. And House Republicans are set to meet again tonight in their latest efforts to find a new Speaker of the House. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Today, the Feast of San Juan Capistrano. Ah, yeah, the bird's coming back today. The birds, the swallows, Mm -hmm. as it were. Is it swallows? Is that the bird that they got Uh, in San Juan? I think you're right. I'm I'm sure it is. It sounds like swallows. 
but it's not the salmon of Capistrano, Paul Lockman. I know what he's thinking over there. Swallows Day. Swallows Day. What is Swallows Day? The famous cliff swallows of San Juan Capistrano leave town every year in a swirling mass near the day of San Juan. Okay, so so they they should be taken off any any time now. Yeah, maybe they already have. And then they'll return sometime around the Feast of Saint Joseph. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> Do they end up in San Jose for that? Because that would make sense. That would be neat. But uh, if they left from San Juan Capistrano on the Feast of Saint John Capistrano and returned to San Jose on the Feast of Saint Joseph, so. Uh, swallows, if you're listening, you should plan that. It would plan be really that, make it happen. It would, be, it would be really symbolically cool. Um, <laughs> but Saint John of Capistrano uh, was uh, a lawyer. Um, he studied law at the University of Perugia, and then when war broke out with, between a couple of uh, kingdoms, he tried to broker a peace, and that didn't go well. He ended up as a prisoner of war, and it was during that time as a prisoner of war uh, that he decided that his vocation was actually to uh, the priesthood. Uh, so he studied under St. Bernardine of Siena nice, and went on to do all kinds of things. Uh, and after the fall of Constantinople, he was involved in a crusade. At age 70, uh, he was actually put at the head of 70,000 Christian soldiers to go out first wow. uh, you know, as a chaplain to, the, to a group of 70,000 guys. Uh, he ended up dying in the field a few months later. Uh, but yes, he is a, uh, he's one of the many great Franciscan saints in uh, church history. Which is why there is a mission in California named for him where these swallows depart from every year on his feast day because, of course, Blessed Junipero Serra, a Franciscan missionary, going up the coast of California and founding all of these missions and many of them named for the Franciscans. It's why the San Diego Padres are called the Padres, right? That's true, because of the Franciscan missions. And did you know, Anna Mitchell, that in February of 1984, John Paul II, whose feast was yesterday, mm-hmm. named him as a patron saint of military chaplains. Oh, no, so, I didn't know that. I want to give a shout-out to anyone who has that uh, on their resume today. I've known a lot of people who have uh, done military chaplaincy work for some time and then ended up in parish work, perhaps after retirement. And uh, so if you're in active military chaplaincy or if you are retired from military chaplaincy happy feast day happy feast day to, to you. you this morning so there you have it and now you know if you know a military chaplain go tell him happy feast day i bet you I bet you the folks at armor of god radio know a few i would imagine so saint john of capistrano pray, pray for, for us, us. You know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. Dearest Jesus, teach me yourself to be silent. Abide in me as you do in the tabernacle, for my soul thirsts for this grace. Your loved presence guards my soul and keeps in check my thoughts, my words, my acts. Stay in my heart, dear Jesus, and transform it through love, humility, penance, and silence. Silence will help me to become more and more true, and this is sometimes more difficult than it seems. Love, patience, gentleness, humility, silence. Give me all these, dear Jesus, and make me holy in so far as you wish. Use me for souls, for your loved missions and missionaries. Use me in your own interest, for your greater glory, and that all be done and suffered in silence in the chapel of my little soul. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Sister Patricia G., Sister of St. Joseph the Worker in Walton, Kentucky. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Monsignor Charles Pope. You can find him online at MonsignorPope.com, and he writes for the Archdiocese of Washington at blog.adw.org. Good morning, Monsignor Pope. Good morning. We're going to be talking about the first commandment today. It says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, of course, we know there are those who deliberately reject, choose to not believe in God, you know, those who are deliberately atheist or agnostic for that matter. My question to you is about those who, when asked, would probably say, yeah, I believe in God, but he's not really, you know, a big part of my life. How do those people square up with the First Commandment? Well, uh, they're engaged in basically what we used to call idolatry, you know, um, or maybe some of them are agnostics. So you got you got I think the two, you know, the agnostics are kind of what I call the lazy atheists. You say, well, I don't, I don't know, so I'm just going to get on with my day. Um, but uh, there's another group that sort of fashion their own designer gods, you know, um, the god within and. Um, the um, you know that kind of stuff the god of my understanding you know and he always happens to agree with me and uh, they tend to uh, ascribe worship to say I'm not religious and spiritual mm-hmm. well okay um, but you know again it's it's um, kind of a very convenient uh, invent your own god we used to call that idolatry so you could have got two other options than just outright you know atheism or out, out, outright idolatry it's a kind of a soft idolatry. Sure. So when we look at the first commandment, um, those people might think, well, this is a pretty selfish demand that God is is placing on us. Um, Mm, But aren't the commandments, Monsignor Pope, aren't they set out for our own good? Yeah, if if you if you look at um, why would yeah, why would God command us? It's not because he has a big ego. God is perfectly happy without us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, God doesn't need me. Um, and he doesn't, you know, need uh, praise or accolades and so on. Um, he's perfectly, you know, just he has all, all happiness. Now, that said, then, yeah, as you point out, the commandments are for our sake. So what, what starts to happen to an individual and a culture when we stop believing in God? And a lot of things start falling apart really fast. Um, and I think it's Chesterton who said, you know, that it's not that People don't, if they stop believing in God, they don't believe, uh, they believe in nothing, but that they'll believe in anything. Uh, 
And this is what we see a lot of today, huh? Um, So you have that. Um, But you also have just us as individuals, you know, people, well, man is a religious animal. (laughs) If if we're not going to believe in God, we're going to end up, you know, putting belief in something, you know, People, for example, when we get rid of the story of Genesis uh, about the fatal flaw of the human person, we have to reinvent it, and we're all evil because we're ruining the climate or something. You know, it, it always gets reinvented in some way that tends to be harmful. Um, likewise, a lot of the old pagan gods demanded all kinds of crazy sacrifices and you know, even human sacrifice, and uh, people were pretty worn out with, you know, the demands of these ancient gods, many of whom Paul says were demons. So, yeah, it's um, we're going to shift. If we're not going to believe in the one true God who loves us, we're going to turn to other things that harm us. Yeah. And, you know, most of these people, atheists included, are generally good people, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. they're not murdering people. Everybody has their flaws, but, yeah, right. you know, most people are nice or whatever. Um mm-hmm. What is the consequence for the culture, though, when Mm -hmm. we have a society filled with nice people who don't really bother with God? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, none of us are really all that nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's a good point. You're right. We have a lot of darkness. But I mean, we're not saying that all the atheists are out there doing terrible, awful things. That's not the point. But the point is that they don't think they're ever going to answer to anyone, especially God. And that's... When you start having people, large numbers, who think that, you know, they'll never have to ever answer to God for what they do, things get very dicey very quick, collectively speaking. It may be individuals, atheists, who have a lot of natural virtue and don't bother anyone, but collectively speaking, you end up with a a, a huge generation uh, or a large number in a generation that no longer think they're going to answer to God and they begin to get very cruel and pretty ugly pretty fast, at least collectively speaking. And the other thing that happens is that, you know, we used to have a common biblical narrative that was kind of it was in everybody's mind, even though we had sectarian differences. We all had basic fundamental beliefs in the basic moral norms of the Bible and the basic biblical principles and so on. Today, you remove that, you see, and today everybody's getting you know, the craziest stuff is out there. You know, somebody says, I can, I'm a man, but I can be a woman. I mean, it, it, things break down very quickly when there isn't a common reference that everybody has. And uh, it, we end up in what, what Bishop Barron calls the suffocating subjectivism. Mm. And, um, and, of course, what Pope Benedict called the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, tyranny, the tyranny of relativism. And everybody's, you know, it's just raw power. You will think what I think because I tell you to. You know, I have the power to make you comply. And that's kind of where we are today. It's a lot of screaming and hollering. There's no common reference point anymore. And anybody believes any crazy thing. And we're supposed to just go along with it. And um, so those kinds of things happen in a culture when there isn't a common belief in God. Well, this is why we are trying to build up the culture as best we can here as Christians. We've been talking to Monsignor Charles Pope. He's got a really interesting piece over at blog.adw.org, unpacking this even further. Um, Monsignor Pope, appreciate the, the piece, appreciate the conversation this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. You bet. And you can find all of our guests linked 
on a daily basis in our show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis yesterday called President Joe Biden to discuss the conflict in the Middle East. The White House says the two leaders spoke by phone yesterday about the latest developments in Israel and Gaza specifically. Along with condemning the attack by Hamas on Israeli civilians, the White House said the president also affirmed the need to protect civilians in Gaza. For its part, the Vatican said the Pope stressed the need to identify paths to peace. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father once again called for peace in Gaza and Israel. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The Pope expressed his worry and grief over what is happening in Israel and Palestine. Ancora una volta il mio pensiero va a quanto sta accadendo in Israele e in Palestina. I am very concerned, grieved, he said, noting, I pray and I am close to all those who are suffering, the hostages, the injured, the victims, and their families. The Pope said he is very concerned over the grave humanitarian situation in Gaza, and he was saddened that the Anglican Hospital and the Greek Orthodox Parish were hit in the war violence in recent days. Penso alla grave situazione umanitaria a Gaza e mi addolora che anche l'ospedale anglicano e la parrocchia greco-ortodossa. I renew my appeal for spaces to be opened, for humanitarian aid to continue to arrive, and for hostages to be released, he said. E si liberano gli ostaggi. War, every war in the world. I am also thinking of the tormented Ukraine, the Pope continued, is a defeat. La guerra. Ogni guerra che nel mondo, penso anche alla martoriata ucraina, è una sconfitta. War, he said, always is a defeat, for it is a destruction of human fraternity. Brothers, stop, stop, he said. Fratelli, fermatevi, fermatevi. The Pope then recalled that he has called for, on Friday the 27th of October, a day of fasting, prayer, and penance. That day, in St. Peter's at 6 p.m. Rome time, there will be an hour of prayer for peace in our world. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has offered his condolences and prayers to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike struck a Greek Orthodox church last week. Vatican News reports at least 18 people were killed when the Church of St. Porphyrius in Gaza was struck. Cardinal Pierre, Batista, Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballa spoke to an Italian television station saying, quote, the pain of those families who have already been suffering for a long time is enormous and we are with them. We pray that this situation ends as soon as possible. He said, let's hope that reason returns to those who make decisions. Wars, war and bombs have never solved problems, he said. On the contrary, they always create new ones. Meanwhile, Caritas Jerusalem is expressing grief and outrage, saying one of their staff members and her family were killed in that rocket blast. The statement says they were among 411 people who had taken refuge in the church hall adjacent to St. Porphyrius Church. Former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is now backing House Majority Whip Tom Emmer to take over the gavel. 
Trey Thomas reports. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, McCarthy said the Minnesota congressman knows how to do the job. We got a wide open southern border. We got crushing inflation. We got war in the Middle East. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. He added that Emmer can bring the Republican Party together as well as focus on the country's needs. I'm Trey Thomas. The United Auto Workers president says the union is seeing progress from GM and Stellantis. Brian Shook reports. He said in a Facebook Live update that there is more to be won. Fain's presentation comes on the heels of GM passing another offer to the UAW for a 23% general wage increase for a 25% compounded boost over the life of the pact. That's according to the company. But Fain said these profitable companies have more to give. I'm Brian Shook. Meanwhile, negotiations between the Actors Union and Hollywood Studios will resume tomorrow, nearly two weeks after management halted discussions. That's the news. It's 35 past the end. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through SunriseMorningShow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through SunriseMorningShow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. We do not know much about St. Paul's personal life, but it appears that he must have liked sports. He uses sports analogies in his different writings, including the first letter to the Corinthians chapter 9. He writes there, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. St. Paul teaches us that all who have the gift of faith are athletes for Christ. Just as athletes discipline their bodies to run the race, we must discipline our souls and bodies so that we never lose focus of what our true goal is, everlasting life with Christ. St. Paul is the motivator for all of us when we get tired or want to fall out of the race. He knows what it takes because he's already run the race. He knows we need the Holy Spirit. Christians need the spiritual discipline of prayer, the sacraments, and a life of generous service. Christians also need the physical discipline of turning away from sin and living a life of virtue. When the runners win the perishable crown, they usually want to go to Disneyland. As we run for the imperishable crown of holiness, our goal is a lot greater. We want to go to heaven. And we hear this from the heart of St. Paul. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Jared Stout. We've been going through his book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization, from Tan Books. Good morning, Dr. Stout. Good morning. It's good to have you. Now, we're uh, continuing through uh, this walk through church history and our understanding of the Eucharist. Um, and we're on to the Protestant revolt today. And I know that there are, are many heresies that came out of this time. But just to start us off, can you talk about 
a few of the more prevalent Eucharistic heresies that we get from the, this uh, this time period? Well, there's an underlying principle of the Reformation that what God expects of us is simply faith. Now, from a Catholic position, we do believe that God expects faith from us, but that with faith, the whole law uh, is fulfilled. And so there's an interior aspect of my own relationship with God that ends up trumping everything else. And so when it comes to the Eucharist, the same principle applies that we do not need exterior means of communicating with Christ, because if we have faith, well, we already have interior communion. Mm-hmm. And so there is a consistent downplaying of the sacramental aspect of the faith, including with the Eucharist. And as a whole, in the Reformation, um, the sacraments were reduced to baptism and the Eucharist. Now, of course, there are many variations um, of theology and sacramental practice in Protestant denominations. But as a whole, you have this reduction to baptism and the Eucharist. And then what the Eucharist means is really anyone's guess. (laughs) Martin Luther and others said that the Bible would be sufficient in and of itself to teach Christians of the truth of the faith. Hmm. Yet when it comes to the Eucharist, there is no agreement whatsoever Uh, Martin Luther held to a position of consubstantiation uh, because at the Last Supper, he said, you know, Jesus said, this is my body. So it's Jesus' body, but, you know, it's also still bread. Luther got in a a very violent disagreement with Zwingli, the main reformer of Switzerland, that there was a proposal at the Marburg Colloquy that the two of them might be able to work together and, and unite different Protestant groups. But Luther was shouting at Zwingli about those words of the Last Supper, this is my body, because Zwingli simply said that the Eucharist was symbolic. Zwingli's successor as the head of the Swiss Reformation, John Calvin, had something a little bit more nuanced as his position for the Eucharist, that in receiving bread and wine, there is a spiritual communication of Jesus' body and blood. Um, so it's not just symbolic, like Zwingli said, but it's also not the body and blood of Christ, like Luther said. It's a spiritual communion with the body and blood of Christ. Uh, then you have other groups like in the Radical Reformation. Uh, the Radical Reformation would be the, like the Anabaptist groups. Um, so the Amish is the most famous of these today, but you know you have many others as well. They do not actually have liturgical uh, worship at all. And so there is no Eucharist. Rather, there would be more of like a what some groups called the agape meal, trying to resurrect this ancient Christian meal, which expresses communion um, through a just regular, ordinary meal within the community. So we have the whole spectrum here uh, from different Protestant groups. Well, and we've talked before about heresies and how they have have led the church into a a genuine development of doctrine, uh, a better understanding or a better, clearer way to communicate the doctrine, but would you say it's, is it fair to say that the Protestant revolt took things to a whole new level? So there, there was, as we've talked about, you know, a very long tradition of the Eucharist, but I would say that people at this time were very ignorant of history. And St. John Henry Newman, who left Protestantism to become Catholic, once said to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. 
But at this time, very few people were deep in history. So mm -hmm. the Reformation might say, like providentially led to uh, greater historical research and a deeper connection than to the church fathers and to others. But it took time to recover that. And the church will come out uh, being much stronger because of the Reformation. But the, there were difficult moments and, of course, so much damage uh, that happened in the meantime. Well, where would you say we are now in your mind? I mean, the the defense uh, against the the heresies that came out of of the Reformation have never really died down, right? I mean, so so how has the church responded through these centuries since then? Well, I would say that initially the church really dug her heels in. Um, and there definitely was a kind of us versus them mentality, um, which became very political. You know, a lot of people are now yeah. saying the religious wars in Europe were not religious wars at all. They were political wars that ended up being two different camps divided by religious, you know, divisions, but that Veneer, um, yeah. it was not essentially about religion. I would say, and, I, and I've actually written an article um, about this on Catholic World Report, that I think we're now at the point where people on both sides are beginning to accept things from the other traditions. I, some people mm -hmm. have said the Reformation is now over 500 years later in this sense that the issues of the Reformation are not as relevant to people today. Does that mean we're all going to be one church immediately? No, but, but I do think that there are even many aspects of Protestantism that are becoming very influential in the Catholic Church. Uh, for instance, we talk a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus. That is a very traditionally, at least a Protestant thing mm -hmm. that we now have come to see. Oh, well, that's actually kind of important here. We are now emphasizing uh, personal reading of Scripture. I mean, Pope Benedict even said that Lexio Divina, this personal prayerful reading of Scripture, could lead to a whole new springtime in the church. Now, Lexio Divina is not Protestant. But on the other hand, we've we've recognized the Protestants have outstripped us in biblical knowledge. And so we're saying, well, maybe there's something there. Now, there is downsides to this as well, because we live in a very individualistic culture. And as I've mentioned, Protestantism was very much rooted in an individual relationship with God, personal faith, even private in, in some ways. And so many people, especially in Western society, tend to reinterpret the Catholic faith along more Protestant lines today. And this is where we, we even saw through that Pew survey that came out a few years ago that is still kind of rocking the church, that two-thirds of Catholics in the United States hold to a more Protestant view of the Eucharist. Now, unlike you know having a personal relationship with God or knowing the Bible, I think we would say that is not a good thing. Uh, because Jesus clearly taught us about the Eucharist in the New Testament. The Eucharist has always been the center of the church. And and if you think that, the, you know, the body and blood of Christ are actually more just like symbols during the Mass, um, this is actually a very serious, we would even say heresy, right? And, and that you are not even able to receive the Eucharist fruitfully. It would actually be a sacrilegious communion if you're approaching the Eucharist without genuine faith in the Lord's presence there. So over time, as Protestantism has been influencing the Catholic Church, and I would say the Catholic Church has been influencing Protestantism in other ways as well, um, there's definitely some, some good elements, but also some very 
difficult and even existential threats that we can see uh, coming into the church as well. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Dr. Jared Stout. You can find his book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's from Tan Books. Up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Stephanie Mann joins us to talk about the canonization of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales. It's 14 till. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. He is honored by the Church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit St. Peter Canisius was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis yesterday called President Joe Biden to discuss the conflict in the Holy Land. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has offered his condolences and prayers to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate after an airstrike struck a Greek Orthodox church late last week. And as Republicans continue to find a nominee for Speaker of the House, former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is backing House Majority Whip Tom Emmer. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Stephanie Mann. You can find her online at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. She's been in a, running a blog over there on English Catholic history for uh, a number of years, and uh, we've been tapping her wisdom for a number of years as well. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for the thanks for the conversation. This will be great. It will be, and we're coming up on the anniversary of the canonization of the yes. forty martyrs of England and Wales. So, tell us about uh, when they finally got canonized. Well, actually, they, if you run the numbers, um, they were canonized four hundred and. 35 years after the first martyrs died and in this group and 291 years after the last martyrs. So from 1535 to 1679, <clears throat> these uh, martyrs run the gamut of the English 
Reformation and recusant era in uh, during the reigns, particularly of from Henry VIII to Charles II. So a, a long period of English history, and it's interesting to see why it took so long for them to be canonized. I mean, I'm, I'm in the diocese of Wichita, Kansas, and we are praying for the canonization for the cause of our uh, great military chaplain. Chaplain Emil Capon, and we're all wanting it now. <laughs> so you can imagine that there were devotees and those who had great, great devotion to these English martyrs who were going 435 years. This has been a long time that we've been praying and, and honoring these men and women and thinking of them as great heroes of the faith. But for one thing, it, England didn't have a hierarchy. There was no bishops to propose a cause. And then even when this canonization took place in 1970 there were kind of interesting ecumenical issues the uh, church of england and uh, the catholic church had entered into some ecumenical discussions pope paul the sixth and uh, michael ramsey the archbishop of canterbury had met quite often so in a way it's, it's interesting to think of these kind of these two aspects of it one they were great heroes and and great martyrs and Two, their canonization took place at a kind of a delicate time in the ecumenical relations between the Church of England and the Catholic Church, because at that time there was a great hope of some kind of unification. Of course, we know that's really kind of fallen apart now because of certain actions of the Church of England, ordaining women as priests and bishops and, and other actions that they've taken that would kind of preclude those, some of those discussions from going forward. Yeah, and at the same time, there's been interesting uh, development, you know, with the ordinariate and uh, all the people who have come into yes. the church and kept the Anglican patrimony there. But I'm thinking about the fact yes. that this whole series of late, we've been focusing on Father Bowden's book on mementos yes. of the English confessors and martyrs. And when he wrote this, if I'm not mistaken, none of these people would have been canonized, or at least a bunch of them would not have been canonized, right? Many of the many of them were still, in fact, of, of the forty that that were canonized. In 1970, uh, 20 of those that he discusses in his in his book or, or presents in his books were still at the venerable stage. They hadn't even been beatified, and so that's kind of remarkable. So when if in fact there are six of the 40 martyrs that he doesn't even mention. So because he had a different purpose, you know, he wasn't writing a history of the English martyrdom. He was providing spiritual and more moral guidance to Catholics in the early 20th century. who were still under some disabilities uh, under English law. And so he's reminding them of what these men and women, including, as we've, we've noted, when we've talked about some of the, his, uh, models some of them were not martyrs they were confessors they're not saints either but they were uh, men and women who stood up for the faith and remained true to it even though they didn't uh, suffer martyrdom but yes it's, it's interesting to note that he is writing really before before this great cause had begun for the these canonizations many years before because he's writing in in 1910 and they aren't canonized six, until 60 years later so it is kind of an interesting uh matching of, of present and past in in different kind of different levels so that's that's fascinating to me when i think about time and history but yeah, it's uh, fascinating yes, to me as true. well you know yeah. what's also really neat and i love this in your blog post i hope people go over to your website from time to time so so too. survival because you have such cool nuggets and you have actually excerpts from the homily 
that Pope Paul VI gave when he, uh, you know, did this canonization. I wonder if any of the little excerpts of that jumped out to you. Well, one was that I do highlight is that he did mention this fact that there was a relationship and there were efforts for reunification with the Anglican Church. And he said that these martyrs were, in a way, part of the... (sighs) prayers that are going forward for this reunification uh, in some ways that that we could come together the church of england and the catholic church but but then what i thought were amazing and, and that i found from another source because it wasn't translated on the vatican website was the praise he offered the martyrs he said that they were worthy to stand alongside the greatest martyrs of the past and because of their fearless faith and marvelous constancy but also because of their humility, simplicity, and serenity, and above all, the spiritual joy and that wondrously radiant love with which they accepted their condemnation and death. And when I think of that, I think of, uh, when I read that, I think of many of the martyrs that we've talked about who made jests as they went along to their uh, martyrdom or uh, argued at the last minute with the the Protestant minister and, uh, uh, you know, said, don't bother me anymore. I, I'm, I'm, conf- I've confessed my sin. I'm forgiven, and I'm ready to meet my God. So you know that just that kind of spirit that they had. And then he did point out that the reason that they they suffered was because they realized that they, they saw conflict and they dealt with it. They made a choice. They could either conform to their uh, what their country told them to believe about god and his church or they could form to what their conscience and what the catholic church taught them about what they should believe about god and his church and they chose the as he says their fidelity to god and the dictates of their conscience illumined by the catholic faith and then he does also mention their truly supernatural strength with which they stood for god and how they joyfully confronted martyrdom so those were beautiful words that he used for these these catholic martyrs and i think that's true when you think especially about how we look back on the history of martyrdom that they are worthy to stand alongside the greatest martyrs of the past and in some ways they're models for the greatest martyrs of our era because as many have pointed out i think robert royal even wrote the book said there's been more there were more martyrs in the 20th century to the catholic faith because of those conflicts between church and state yeah it's a fascinating thing to look back on and you know, I love the fact that you've got these excerpts because I don't believe, as you note here, I went and clicked over earlier, but uh, they don't have the entire homily from the canonization translated right. all the way into English, which is weird because those are English martyrs. You know, I mean, yes, that was strange. Vatican's <laughs> fallen a little behind on that. It's been it's been seventy years, so fifty three years, but yes. fifty three years. <laughs> Stephanie, Maybe man, we've got. Supremacy and survival.blogspot.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. So many cool tidbits from English Catholic history over there. Well, we'll be back again tomorrow morning for those of you listening across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. In the meantime, for all of us here, I'm Matt Swain. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.